0: Hi, and welcome to another episode of Digital Noir Presents. This episode was recorded live from Pause Fest 2019. Many of you know that we took the podcast over to partner with Pause Fest to record some of their keynote speakers, um, which are being released once a month over the next 12 months. You can check that out in our podcast archives, or you can head over to pausefest.com.au to check out um, the event that they're getting ready for next year, and also some of the content that we help produce from this year. In this conversation, I managed to sit down with Julia Loughlin, who wasn't speaking at Pause Fest, but is based in Melbourne and runs a really cool company called Echo Makers. I first met Julia last year as a part of the 2018 Telstra Business Awards, which she was heading up the PR for. I was really, really impressed with the quality of communications around that whole awards and events. Um, So it's been exciting to to get to know Julia a bit better as she's jumped into her own endeavor with Echo Makers, which is uh, set up as a smart business-led PR, marketing and communications uh, specialist for small and medium-sized business. She's really passionate about jumping in and helping small and medium-sized businesses improve their communication strategy. So we talked a bit about what PR means in, in 2019 and also about her going out on a limb and, and starting her own enterprise and some of the thought process behind that. I really hope you enjoy the conversation. Hey Julie, how are you doing?
1: Very well, thanks Sam. How are Welcome you? Welcome to
0: Pause Fest. Yeah,
1: it's fantastic to be
0: here. Yeah, there's a good buzz going around. You can probably hear it in the background. Um, it's quite interesting you sort of jump in talking about wellness. That's a lot of what we spoke about yesterday. Was I suppose wellness um, within teams and, and empowering teams, and um, so I suppose in, in your role as a as a, a marketer uh, in public relations and in strategy, that actually plays into things a lot more than I think people would sort of uh, realise.
1: Oh, wellness, mm. yeah, definitely. Doesn't it just affect every every person's um, I think experience of any job in any industry? And um, it's actually one of the drivers I decided to start Makers, actually. I, um, I was really keen for flexibility, uh, as I think a lot of people are these days. There's definitely more of a, a move towards you know, working your own hours and, and being able to you know, pick up some time if you need to in the evenings or on the weekends, but whatever suits you best and um, yeah, your body best. And also, I'm studying, so that flexibility is really helpful. So if I need to study during the day, then I can do that. And yeah, then... Nice.
0: What are you studying? I'm doing an MBA. Oh, great. Right. Where are you doing that, through?
1: Melbourne Business School.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's nice to have that flexibility to, to be able to dedicate time to that as opposed to trying to cram it in, you know, after hours when you're tired.
1: Yes, definitely. I tried that <laughs> for the first year and a half and, um, you know, you just have to do the best that you can, I guess, and that's the, that's the test of it. You know, everyone's juggling, you know, lots of competing priorities, you know, families and, and businesses and work, um, but that's okay. It's all part of the experience.
0: So we first uh, met each other through the Telstra Business Awards last year, um, which you've been working on uh, through an agency. I forget what the agency yeah, is called. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's um, called
1: Attention and Influence.
0: Cool. Um, I, I love how that, that whole um, event and the whole process is put together. It was, a, it was a really inclusive and engaging process, I thought, from end to end. But now you've gone out and started your own your own thing, Echo Makers.
1: Yeah, that's right. I have.
0: Tell me a little bit about that.
1: Sure. So that's nice of you to say about the Telstra Business Awards. I mean, I loved that whole experience. Mm. Yes, so I worked... I did the PR for that for three years and I worked with a great team at the agency and a great team at Telstra and it was actually that experience, I think, seeing all of these wonderful business owners, yourself included, um, with these great stories to tell and um, just living their own dream, really, you know, going through the battles and the challenges but enjoying the, um, the celebrations of their own success and the success of their teams and it was probably after hearing the you know 100th acceptance speech or something <laughs> when I thought, I really want to do this. I I want to be one of these people and I want to work with these people yeah. too. So I'm now a small business owner and I'm working with other small businesses and medium businesses, so up to about 50, 60 employees, yep. uh, to help them do their PR and marketing more broadly as well.
0: And I think PR is probably a commonly sort of misunderstood term in industry, like, what's PR to you?
1: Yeah, PR, absolutely. My mum still asks that question, of course. <laughs> I, I've heard it's quite common in the
0: industry.
1: Yeah. PR, so public relations, you know, the definition really is that it's the, um, you know, the active influence and perception of your brand or your personal brand out in the market. And what's involved in that is orchestrating or developing some key messages and remaining consistent in how you'll portray yourself. So that is PR, if you like. And then what does that look like? Well, traditionally, it's seen through earned media. So, you know, media coverage. So if you're up in, you know, up in lights on a TV news program or a radio interview or a podcast, for instance, or a news article, online or in print, that's PR. And it does hold a lot of value, definitely, um, because, of course, it's so much more beneficial to have someone else say how great you are, which is the implicit message of having someone write about you or speak about you, than saying it yourself, you know, in a chest-beating way, which is what advertising really is. Not to at all detract from advertising's value. They definitely have their own place and they can work to um, enhance each other. But PR is still more than that as well. PR is more than media relations. It's... um, Still in the communications realm, you know, it is definitely the crafting of strategic communications in messaging. So, through every experience of your brand, so uh, that could be, um, you know, speeches, it could be white papers, it could be reports, it could be um, any other communication. And then you look into the more marketing, I suppose, domain. Which is still promotional tactics. So that can include social media. That's a very big area, of course, um, in terms of where you play and how to win, basically. So, which platforms are right for you and, and what's your strategic intent on each of those and how do you actually measure success? So, I would say that's VR. And in fact, that's a third prong. So, if we're looking at earned, social, there's also owned. Owned is your content marketing. And so, this is a fantastic example of content marketing for digital noir. You're great at it, Sam. Um, you know, providing that consistent message and value uh, to your audience. Um, certainly not chest feeding. So that would be PR, earned, owned, and social. And I hope I'm not blabbering on. But in addition to that, then there is actually, um, well, I suppose all of those three things comprise the promotional aspect of marketing, which is really important. Um, but before you get to that, you, of course, need to know your foundations. And so then that is a very key part of what I do, um, which is articulating that message and that story. So really understanding that purpose before you go to market.
0: And so there's a couple of things I want to touch on there. A lot of the chats we've had over the last couple of days have been about teams and about about purpose. Um, and, and and marketing and PR and messaging keeps coming back through them, even if it's not um, necessarily what you know what, what people's role have been. So, for example, I spoke to someone yesterday who is a um, a strategic director um, has I think a psychology background, but is essentially working internally with her team in kind of PR, right? Like 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 uh, defining messages and and building stories within the team so that when you get to that point where you've got media or interest that everything flows back sort of fluidly Mm -hmm. and there is actually you know the the story isn't just a top down a top level story that doesn't actually mean anything to the organisation below it
1: yes that's great yeah you want it to be integrated of course and it's not you know anything insidious I don't think and perhaps some people could be sceptical about this propaganda or something being fed a message. But the point is it actually should be authentic. You know, if it's going to be effective, it needs to be true. It needs to represent a very true experience of everyone um, in contact with that brand. And it's interesting what you're saying about internal communications and external communications. I mean, really, they are two sides of the same coin. Brand and culture are, you know, two sides of the same coin. And you can't expect to create one experience for your external audience and say, this is what we stand for as a brand, these are all the things that we represent, and then have the internal experience be different from that. You know, Of course, you're going to have poor performance, disengagement, the performance of the company um, will suffer, and then so will the experience from the customer's point of view.
0: And I, th- I think they, they are just parallel, right? And you see companies that, that are doing amazingly well and have you know great brand loyalty and trust they generally have the same from their teams, and they—they, they, I suppose, they put that—they uh, put that hat on where they demand, you know, trust from, and they—or they earn trust, sorry, from their customers. But they have to do the same thing internally. Yeah. Because you—you can't, you know, you can't have—you can't be saying whatever it is this product or service does X and not have it do that, and you can't be the same with your teams. You can't say, well, we're all about happiness and well-being, but you need to work until ten o'clock and you must be in this room. And-
1: yeah, exactly. That's right, and. And you don't have to be one particular style, you know. You don't have to be, as you say, you know, the happiness and no. well-being. I mean, look at Amazon. You know, they have built a brand on high performance and efficiency and productivity, and they make no apologies for that. And people know very well, you know, what the business is going into it. Um, and from a customer point of view, I suppose, you know, the market is benefiting from those efficiencies. You know, that that price okay. point then passes on.
0: So, people out there, as a consumer. Looking at a product, whatever it might be, or a service, actually, actually wanting to align my values with with you, and not just based off, you know, what traditionally was advertising was very sort of broad stroke, right? So, or talking to lots of people um, in one voice. Now, as a, you know, with the with the mediums we have, we can really find our our audience, I suppose, yeah, and talk to them.
1: Absolutely, it's a market of one, right? Exactly. So tailoring your message to suit that niche market and values based marketing, if you like. Um, which sounds, it could sound a little bit, you know, cynical, but um, is absolutely important, especially for the, you know, emerging millennial generation and, um, you know, having a social conscience to drive, you know, your purchase behaviours, that's becoming, you know, quite a trend. And it's important to be transparent in who you are and what you stand for. I mean, it always has been, um, and now I think there is this, less room to hide for a brand, if you like, and they just can't afford to um, shoot one message out and hope it hits, you know, I think the you, many. You
0: make an interesting point about Amazon too, and you're right, there's, I mean, there's all these, this authenticity and purpose and and all these sort of, what are buzzwords at the moment? And it's, it, I think it's it's great that, that corporate especially are embracing these and, and hopefully following through and actually having it sort of more entrenched within the, their teams as opposed to just being, you know, a slogan that gets pushed out. Um, but there's no reason why, you know, if if you have a different worldview or a different value, then, you know, embrace that from, from you know, it doesn't all have to be about you know, team culture and, and, and wellness, let's say, for example.
1: Exactly, because then it becomes artificial. Yeah. Yeah, it's like astroturfing for grassroots activity. You know, people can see through it. Yeah. Um, you're much better off being honest about what it is that you stand for and who you exist for and how you're serving them. And, um I'd be meeting that market's needs and then have them find you, um, then pretend to be something you're not because it won't work out for you well for you or them.
0: You spoke about um, strategic intent. Um, I think one of the things that as as small business owners or SMEs here, you know, that maybe don't have such an up-to-date marketing department and they they just hear social media, social media, content, content, content. And I I think a lot of them come in and start playing and without that strategic intent and, and try and grow across too many channels and, and... And very quickly start saying, well, we are not. We don't see an ROI on this, right? H- how do you go about you know, finding your channel or finding you know, where you can actually have those conversations?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So that's part of the reason why I started Echo Makers, actually, because I have seen that I think the traditional PR model can be prohibitive for small and medium-sized businesses because they just don't have the same budgets yeah. as larger businesses, right? And if they do happen to have a bit of money, you know, to spend... 5k say on a project and they splash that, they'll be disappointed, of course, with the return on investment because it will be disappointing because that $5,000 means so much to them. And it might've got some five fantastic pieces of media coverage, great, or maybe it was a small social media campaign, but then it's dead in the water. And the real value, of course, comes with consistency. You need to have that ongoing presence and be relevant to your market. So I am very passionate about actually educating business owners and upskilling them with the tools and knowledge that they need to be able to do a lot of it themselves. So when I work with business owners, and it depends on the size of course, so I have two different service offerings, consulting and then also marketing mentor. And so marketing mentor program is directed to those just starting out. So perhaps those businesses that you're referring to in terms of really not having very much budget um, or idea of where to go. And we follow a five-phase approach, starting with that brand strategy, because often they'll say, yeah, so, you know, let's go onto Facebook and let's get some likes or, you know, let's get some more yeah, customers. Yeah, yeah. What are we talking you about? go, oh, let's just, you know, wind back a bit. And just um, start with the brand, okay, so what is your intention? Who are you? Who do you exist for? Why? Why should people care? What is your unique positioning statement? And how do you look and sound as well? What is your brand archetype and personality? Once you have those foundations, then you can look at that marketing strategy and um, have a look overarching, okay, what are the messages, who are we targeting, where, okay, where, is social media relevant, yes, okay, Um, and once you have an idea of your market persona, you know, a bit of a mock-up of who they are and what they like, what they don't like and their pain points and all those things, you can get a sense for which platform will be right for you, you know, is it going to be, you know... The professional b2b purchaser on linkedin you know or are you um targeting a more useful market you know and you have lots of great images to draw on and is instagram going to be relevant for you and having a look at the platform and your relevance to be there as well what do you have to say in that space because there's nothing worse than creating these accounts thinking, what am I going to post today? And it being agonizing for you and probably for the audience as well because if you have to go to those lengths and just put something together um, that you are not even don't have conviction about yourself, then why would they stop the scroll and engage with that content?
0: I think there's a really good point there. If it doesn't feel right in your gut or whatever it is you're doing, so if you, let's say you've got a small business to come under Facebook and, you, and you're really just, as a business owner, let's say, not even in the marketing department, you're struggling to talk there. Like it's probably not right for you. right? It's not that you don't know how to use social media. It's just this isn't this isn't the, the, the channel for you.
1: Exactly. And you need those guidelines. So you need to have the foundations to understand you know, what I've said before about what you want to achieve. And then, okay, so once you have your platform, then you can understand your content pillars. You know, what can you speak about with authority? Um, and because you're sitting right in front of me, I'll use you as an example again, Sam, because you do all this so wonderfully. Um, but obviously you exist for businesses as well, and you're not just staying in your domain necessarily of website and digital experiences, but you're providing value far beyond that. So you've obviously articulated, uh, yeah, websites and digital experiences would be one pillar, but also you know other um, cutting-edge information you know about workplace culture and well-being and PR and marketing that's yeah. of relevance to businesses. Um, and drawing on those third parties to provide insights to supplement your own you know, expertise in their relevant areas. So once you have your pillars, then you can create your you know, calendar of content, provide variety and in different um, you know, media forms. And it becomes much easier to manage and to handle. And then you'll, you'll know what metrics to manage, you know, reach and engagement, key social um and manage them over time and, and gain confidence in knowing that you're heading in the right direction and that you're measuring and managing the right things
0: yeah and it's really important to i mean we, we have this ability to measure everything but i feel like a lot of businesses go yeah great we have all the stats but they're not actually sitting down and analyzing that and saying well what is the outcome here and, and have we achieved what we set out to you know, achieve whatever that might be
1: Absolutely. And also laddering it up to business priorities, yeah. right? So marketing doesn't exist in isolation nope. and it shouldn't be you know, relegated to a particular department. And I think that's the beauty actually of working with business owners who oversee the whole business and you can grow with them. I think it was um, Procter & Gamble chief who said something like, uh, marketing's, the job of marketing is to show where the growth will come from mm. in the business. So identifying who those emerging markets are. So, you know, through marketing comprises, you know, market research, you know, actually data analysis, understanding who the segments are of the markets, choosing who you're going to target and then how you're going to position to them. So the market research, the competitor analysis of understanding what is everyone else saying and what points can you compete on? You know, what are the points of parity that the market expects, but then what are the points of difference that you, you know, perform differently and more superiorly?
0: Do you think there's, one of the things that I, I think I kept coming back to yesterday was there being this, uh, people, when they think about marketing a product, they're too literal about it, right? Like, here's our product that we're selling. I talked to Stephanie Winkler from Vice Media. So she's a digital strategist there with a digital marketing background. But all, all she's doing is looking at numbers, right? And, and, and running census and so, so that they can, Vice can then you know, create new services and products just based mm. off that research.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So the market research is a key component of marketing to understand what the business priority should be, right? So you want to be um, using that intelligence and feeding it back into the business to determine or even what products and services you'll be investing in, Mm. right? I mean, a product is one of the four Ps of the marketing mix. It's crucial. It's not just the promotional aspect. So I suppose the, the point is you really need to you know, have the sausage before the sizzle.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know,
1: sure. The meat on the bones and marketing actually, if it's doing its job right, will do that for you, with your permission. The bi- permission, sort of in the um, latitude from the business owner, it can really provide a great deal of true business value.
0: What have been some of the, uh, so coming out and, and, and starting Echo, Ma- Echo Makers, what have been some of the challenges that you found sort of, you know, jumping in and, and becoming one of these people that's now writing your own story?
1: Oh, so I'm still quite new in my journey, and I'm sure I still have a lot of lessons to learn, so it'll be interesting if we had this conversation in another year's time to see how it will evolve. I, um, when I started, you know, when I was about to start, a lot of people said, oh, it's brave you know, good on you for taking the plunge (laughs) Oh, you know and that doesn't do too much I don't think to make you feel really courageous, does it? Because Oh gosh, (laughs) yes, exactly (laughs) what am I getting myself into um, so I think it was actually a good thing I I tend to be an overthinker by nature but I I considered it but I just thought, no, I want to do this I ought to myself to give this a go and we'll see um So what have I learned? I think that, you know, one of the things I heard at the Telstra Business Awards, actually, um, time and time again, was that um, the highs are higher and the lows are lower when you run your own business. And I probably didn't really understand that then, sitting in the audience of these acceptance speeches, but I have a sense of that sentiment now and I think it's because, um, I mean, you pour everything into it, mm. don't you? And it's, I suppose especially in the early days when you are driving every area of the business, you know, the cliché is it's your blood, sweat and tears. And so when you do have one of those wins, it feels fantastic because you have poured everything into it and you feel like you deserve that win or it feels so gratifying because you have put so much effort into it, you know? And then on the converse side, when you don't, it doesn't turn out like that. It's just, it can be quite debilitating, can't it? Because you think, well, what else could I have done? You know, I put everything into it and it wasn't enough. And that's just how it is. I suppose that's how the cookie crumbles. But uh, it's those moments of of winning and those, you know, I think, you know, elation in the...
0: It's a a roller coaster, it is. Yeah,
1: but it keeps um, that fire in the belly going, right? You know, just enough wins will keep you persevering through those tougher times.
0: I think the kind of people that that, that tend to do well, you know, starting their own business and then sort of thriving, they... They, they see more of the positive in that, right? You can't let the, the, the bad times get to you too much. You see this, oh, this is, this is a hurdle, and then let's just keep trucking. Um, and you kind of crave those, I suppose, those high points. Um, but there's a lot of sort of middle ground in between, I think. I was just talking to um, Stephen from InVision, and was saying in, in the design world, you often just see this, you know, on dribble or whatever, this, this final piece and you, they, you don't see the, the hard work that goes in between. You might see the failures too, but there's a lot of groundwork in between that I, I think people don't appreciate.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. That's a good point, actually. Yeah, the um, the mundane or the, the everyday. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: He, he was talking about um, next year at Halloween, everybody should come to Halloween as who they portray themselves as on social media. Actually saying, you know, because we kind <laughs> of curate our lives to a certain point that's now. so but, funny. Yeah. <laughs>
1: That's so funny. Yeah. One of the
0: things, um, another chat I just had last night at the um, one of the pause parties, a, a girl sort of, uh, her own business, and she's saying she has a notebook, which every time she has like one of those insightful moments or a, some, something that triggers her and goes, you know, this has impacted me, she writes it down. So she sort of has a journal of her um, progress, I suppose, in the business. I, I thought that was quite nice. Mm. There are times where you just go, wow, you know, why wasn't I doing this before? Or why didn't I think of that? Or, you know, some little triggers that, Quite instrumental to the growth going yes, forward. That
1: would be so nice to look back on. Mm. I think to to realise how far you've grown and how much you've learned Because I imagine that would be very encouraging to keep going.
0: So you've started your own podcast as well.
1: I have. That's yeah, exciting. Yeah, it's really good fun. Yeah.
0: Just and uh, what what sort of kicked that off for you?
1: Well, not that I know much about podcasts, I can't say. <laughs> um, do you know I? Echo Makers is about helping business owners right and I did want to provide some content in a really valuable way and I thought that a podcast would be a unique way to sit down with some of these fantastic business owners who have done it you know who have really built very strong brands from you know infancy you know from from nothing and hearing their stories about how they achieved it and I thought you know this would be a way to provide practical advice. What did they do in those early days and how did they actually adapt and, and grow? And so what are they doing now that the bigger businesses can also learn from? So it's practical and also inspirational. You know, I, I think we all love a bit of inspiration to keep us going and um, to hear from them about, um, like you say, the hard times and the boring times or the... I haven't heard too many boring times. It's mainly stress, <laughs> <laughs> the stressful times and the difficult times and, you know, the self-doubting moments and all of the challenges. And, you know, despite that, you know, they just persevered through each of those hurdles. And um, as you say, it looks like, you know, it could look like an overnight success, like it's this wonderful brand that we all know and love now and this person is you know on the rich list or something you know Um, but it hasn't always been like that and that's not the goal either you know the goal is to every day you know to make that brand a little bit better to grow the business a little bit more and um, I think it I personally find it really helpful to hear those stories I love sitting down with these business owners and having these chats and I hope other business owners will as well
0: we've had some great guests on I think so uh, Janine from uh, Boost Juice Mm -hmm. and Justin from Vino Mopo too you know superstar brands right yeah i think it's really i haven't spoken to justin before but i've spoken to andre um and i'm really interested in. i suppose when you get to that point where you've got you know 300 staff and a you know 300 million dollar business then what are the challenges because you know you, you might look at it from the outside and mm-hmm. seeing their you know twitter feed or whatever it's like well surely they're just cruising around in a yacht or whatever but it, it doesn't get any that's easier that's not the case
1: no, no that's right they harder, still have challenges absolutely Yeah, I think that's a really good point, actually. And I think that that's about um, not working to that end point, you know, like I will have made it when, you know, it is the journey. And I think, um, I mean, I love it and still early days, I hope to continue to love it. (laughs) But I imagine that's why business owners do what they do because they can't not. Yeah, that's
0: right. And I think that those... Those two individuals, in particular, they're sort of driven by that spirit to keep going. It's, it isn't about some end goal, and it's—I mean—it's obviously nice when you get there. But I don't think that you know money's not the driving factor. It's some—I don't know—it's some other intangible sort of you know wanting to create or wanting to yeah. build something.
1: Yeah, that's right. To be the makers, the doers. Yeah,
0: it's exciting. Well, um, I know you're going to get to another meeting, so people want to find out more about. Have you got a bit more time, or are you?
1: Yeah, we can keep going yeah. if you like a little <laughs> bit longer. If you have more questions,
0: uh, I've always got questions. Um, I'm actually, I'm speaking to to Justin tomorrow. And I've heard his whole story of, you know, I didn't know about his first business. I didn't know Mm. what you talked about in the podcast, but his sort of first failure. I think failure is something in business that people, especially in Australia, don't uh, don't champion enough. Um, And I think if you're going out and trying something new from a marketing or PR perspective, you kind of have to, not everything's going to be a hit. And you have to, I think, appreciate that there's going to be an iterative process to maybe get to that point where you, you know, you find success. Mm. You find that business owners are open to that kind of suggestion because I think there's a, there is a tendency to, for business owners to see marketing spend as, oh, we've, you know, I appreciate we've got to do it, but, you know, this is the budget and that's it. Now make it work.
1: I mean, marketing drives sales and profits. So to be you know, hesitant about spending on marketing, you know, you're hesitant to grow your business.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But it is true that um, there is a test and learn process, of course. You know that old quote, you know, that half of the advertising budget is wasted. I just don't know what half. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, the same can be said for marketing, I suppose. Um, but that's why you need to take a very strategic approach to it. I mean, that would be true if you just were ad hoc and just, you know, splash some cash on a campaign without thinking about how it aligns to your business strategy and your brand strategy. And then if you expect to see a massive spike of sales, I mean, it might do that, but will there be sustained growth? No, because you're not, you know, not portraying a sustained presence in the market. So yeah, I mean, test and learn is crucial. you can do that at the tactical level you know in your social media um but also more broadly i mean you want to create your marketing strategy that you can you know be consistent with over the next few years because you don't want to be um you know erratic and create confusion in the marketplace but within that you can iterate of course so as long as you are very clear in your mission vision values purpose promise positioning statement Um, How you tell that story to your market and what resonates, um, you certainly will always, you know, find room for improvement on Yeah,
0: because once you have that sort of, um, those tram tracks that you feel free to run in, you can sort of, you know, iterate within them uh, to no end, really, as long as you sort of have set that path.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: We're talking about, um, so in in web development or software development, sort of agile practices, um, I, I don't know how much you sort of come across agile methodologies it's something that's a hard sell for for some businesses to to say well we're going to take you on a journey we don't necessarily know what the end is now we have you know we might have a hypothesis or we might have a set of stories that we need to achieve but we don't know how we're going to get there um the the fear that you see is well how much it's going to cost and when is it going to finish and and from my experience working agile it often ends up costing less and happens quicker but it is that risk you have to take at the start um, it's, I think I think there's certain places in the world where they're embracing it more, um, but there it seems to be still pushback locally of thinking like that.
1: Mm. Depend on the scale as well and the size of the business, of course, because you know, five thousand dollars could be you know a splash in the ocean. Mm. Or it could be a lot of money for a particular business. I mean, scale that up to fifty thousand dollars. You know, any any number could um, you know provoke a bit of fear. So I do think that that risk taking risk taking needs to be done within the appetite of the business and the right solution needs to you know, match where they're at um, because if they can't afford to to iterate and have some flex uh, if they just don't have the cash flow then they're probably not ready to you know you wouldn't want to be actually putting them at that risk and so what i would be suggesting is slow and steady and looking at those affordable tactics so and this is where the upskilling comes in, so through training and workshops and um, mentoring. Um, and, and also that applies to not just business owners but to staff. So I work with quite a few professional service firms and they don't typically have a marketing function, but they're quite large. And so I enjoy working with them particularly because I get to get embedded into their business and, and represent that marketing conscience for them, if you like. And there definitely is an appetite to um, upskill their staff with... with um, some of the things that they can do themselves and there absolutely are some things that they can do themselves and then bring on uh, consultancies to scale up you know for particular campaigns so you know PR is affordable you know if you can do it yourself so you know identifying how to create a good story and, and how to pitch it and where to go and of course the why factor you know social media maintaining that presence doing good content you know amplifying it strategically you know to target your clear customer market uh, if that's right for your business um, so there are some low level pieces of work that I would do first and then going okay great um, sort of dip the toe in We're feeling really confident
0: Yeah.
1: Um, now let's um, go to market with a particular campaign and um you know, if it's well thought through and if we have all of the data to support it in terms of the market research and the targets, then we should see, you know, a spike, you know, a spike in attention and inquiries. Um, and then it is a matter of the rest of the business also supporting those efforts to be able to uh, nurture that, those potential customers, those leads, you know, and take them through to purchase.
0: In in your mentorship role, are you, are you are you dealing with marketers in businesses too, or is it more sort of coming in and, and dealing with like with teams?
1: With businesses, yeah. yeah. Sure. So I'm working directly with business owners, okay. and then upskilling their staff. that's yeah, great.
0: Well. Yeah. It's 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 a tough gig being a, a marketer in 2019. I think you you have, you have to wear so many hats. And I we, we have sort of a grad um, program at DN, and coming out of uni, sort of like what am I doing? Like, do I have to, do I have to be, a, you know, a technical digital marketer and know all the, you know, the tools that I need to use or where do I fit? And I think there are so many hats that you can wear. It mm. is, um, you kind of almost have to find your niche a little bit.
1: Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, that's a good point as well. There are so many hats and, um, you know, and business owners, perhaps, you know, of course they come from all sorts of backgrounds. I mean, not everyone has a marketing background and so they might say, we need some marketing but not really understand what that actually means. And so that's when you need to have a very good conversation and, you know, it's up to that consultant to elicit some insights and then be able to advise on the direction. And, um, I mean, I quite enjoy that, um, you know, understanding more broadly their objectives. And I quite like touching on a number of different things, right, so the PR and social and owned, and I know a little bit about a lot of things. But then I work with specialists to be able to dive deeper into each of those specializations, like websites, for instance, like SEO, um, even targeted Facebook advertising. You know, I work with a specialist who actually, you know, is right, you know, up to date with all of the key developments in that. Um, You know, because you can't just say, we need marketing, Expect one person to wear all those hats and to be able to do each of them justice.
0: I think. I think there's an education process that people like yourself can do with business owners to let them know that yeah, that there is a wide gamut here. Like even uh, businesses like ours who you know have marketing backgrounds, we I, we still bring in specialists to do things for us, and I'll bring in consultants to help you know us with our business because sometimes it's nice to have somebody external come in and, yeah. and then look at things
1: definitely yeah you absolutely do get to collaborate yeah absolutely yeah definitely big believer that two minds are better than one 100%. and three better than two
0: what excites you about the future what are you looking forward to
1: can we narrow that down a little
0: no just generalize oh you, you can about echo let's keep her in echo makers then what are you looking for what are you looking forward to over the next year of the journey?
1: Look, I'm looking forward to doing more of what I'm doing, to be honest. I am really enjoying the, you know, the journey. I mean, I'm looking forward to working with businesses who can benefit from it. Really, I, that is what I enjoy. Um, getting under their skin and understanding their um, problems and trying to help. I, if I can do that for the year, I'll be really pleased
0: it's really interesting because almost everybody I've asked has had a, a similar response in that cause, because pe- the people I've been talking to over the last two days you know, are doing what they love and are excited to be doing helping people in, in most, of the, most of the instances so being able to wake up and say well I'm looking forward to you know continuing doing what I'm doing today and that's 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 an exciting prospect mm. initially I was going to ask people what they were scared about the future but I think it's nice to end on a positive <laughs> note <laughs> It's a good idea. <laughs> this is a lot of scary stuff out there too but I think being in a position where you're, you're kind of creating your own destiny and also helping other people along the way and that's a great place to be
1: and it's also really nice to recognize where you are right now mm. okay this is what I want this is what I hope for my future how lucky am I yeah. that I get it right now
0: yeah very lucky I'm well, looking forward to seeing Echo Makers grow and, and prosper and uh, working with you. And uh, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah,
1: thanks so much, Sam. Awesome. Cheers. Cheers.
0: Hi, guys. Sam here again. Thanks so much for listening. We've actually been putting this podcast on for 18 months now, which is uh, flown very quickly. I'm at a point now where I really want to double down and ensure that we're providing value to our listeners. So if you've got any feedback at all, I know there's a few of you out there that listen on a regular basis, I'd love to hear from you either through a review on iTunes or feel free to hit us up via email, team at digitalnoir.com.au, social media, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. I don't really care how you get in touch. You can call me, you can fax. We don't have a fax machine, don't fax. Um, but yeah, we'd love to hear any, any positive critiques, negative critiques, guests you think we should have on, any insights, Um, Over the next few months, I think we're going to be retooling the podcast a bit to try and drive more value to our listeners. Um, We know a lot of you are really interested in some of the marketing insights um, and tips and tricks that you can gain from industry thought leaders. So we'll be looking into speaking to more people in those spheres and and working out the best way to really delve in and, and dig some cool stuff out of their brains. So, Thanks so much again for listening. And like I said in the uh, in the lead up to the podcast, you can check out all of our other stuff um, on our website, Digital Noir Presents. Just Google that or um, wherever you get your podcast from. So I'd love you to subscribe. And uh, thanks so much for listening. Really appreciate it. it. Makes it worthwhile. Cheers. Catch you next week.